everybody. This is David Perkins. You're listening to the Desperation Podcast. Join us this summer for the Desperation Conference at New Life Church in Colorado Springs, July 9th through 11th. For more information and resources, go to desperationonline.com. I want to speak with you tonight, DSM, from a little bit different of a, of a posture tonight. Um, I want to read off to you a few of the, of the statistics. Last week, uh, many of you filled out this, this questionnaire form and, and, uh, and answered pretty honestly here. I just want to give you a few statistics because we're going to be talking about for the next four weeks or so, with the exception of next week with it being senior night, we're going to talk about this idea of picture, picture perfect. And it's no surprise if you notice out in the lobby, there's just pictures of what looks to be pretty perfect families. You have the white picket fence. You have outlines of people. But as we go through these statistics, I think you'll find, and if we're really, really honest, really none of us have a perfect family. None of us. Moms, dads, siblings, uncles, aunts, adopted or not, have perfect families. We're going to talk about that tonight. See, about 89, this is what we found out about some of you, or all of us here tonight. About 89% of us live with our biological parents. And there, are about, there is about nearly 10%, 9.1 or so, live with adopted families. 13.7% um, of DSM students right here have experienced divorce in their families. Now, if you kind of count there, that's really close to 10%. Approximately every 10 people or so, there's one in every 10 of us or so that's experienced the sting of, of divorce at least one time while you've been here on planet Earth. About 93% of, of, of our parents, DSM students' parents, go to church. About 7% don't go to church. 11.6% of DS students somewhat hate their homes overall. About 12% said, I'm a little bit indifferent about my home. I don't, I don't love it, but I don't, I don't hate it. About 20%. So that's, so that's total about 23.6% just kind of, ah, I have a home, but I mean, it's not really a home. About 41% of you say you love your home overall. It's a good atmosphere, but that's less than half. 20% of DSM students occasionally talk to their parents. About half of you, 50% or so, said, I talk all the time with my parents. And we had some couple in between, like about 25% said, I talk fairly often with my parents. But that's way too many who don't have a real healthy, communicative relationship your parents. 38% of DSM students say they often spend time with their parents. Uh, 34% of DSM students often spend time with their siblings. 34% said I often spend time, I hang out with, 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 with the people I shared a womb with. 38% or 34%. 16.8% of students, DSM students said I feel pressure from my family. Most of the time, I feel like I'm under a lot of pressure. That pressure could be academic or performance, spiritually, whatever it is. About 38.3% said I occasionally feel pressure from my parents. That's a lot, you guys. 
28.8% of DSM students occasionally feel controlled by their parents, more than likely via manipulation of some sort. About 25.9% of students say they rarely feel controlled by their parents. Uh, Let's look at a few more of these. 57.8% of DSM students know their family loves them because they show them affection, which is great. 57.8%, but listen to this, 34.5% of DSM students know their family loved them because they are their son or their daughter. And then a lower here, but it's still real, about 4% or so said, I'm not sure that my family really loves me. That's interesting. 70% of students Say, man, I love, my, I love my siblings. About nearly 30% of DSM students say, I just kind of tolerate them. I mean, it's like, I don't, I don't love them. I don't hate them. It's just kind of, oh, they're here. There they are. 39.4% of students believe that their siblings tolerate them. Got a few more for you here. About 12.5% of DSM students are nervous to spend more time with their family this summer. Nearly 13% of you said, I don't even, I don't know. I'm, I kind of like going to school and doing sports and then all those things. I kind of like that better than being at home with my family. That's interesting. I wanted to share with you guys some, some of those statistics because it kind of speaks to where we are. The people that you see every single week This is interesting to me. Dysfunctional families. Uh, Whenever we think of dysfunction, we think like, oh gosh, throwing telephones into walls. And and maybe that's your dysfunction. Maybe maybe that takes place in your home. Oh, don't laugh too quickly because, because statistics tell us there's a large percentage of even people in this room where there's there's a lot of abuse that's taking place either verbally or physically. And, And we all know how to put on a nice smile whenever we come to church or We all know how to put on a nice smile whenever we're with our friends or trying to look cool. or Even whenever you invite people over. Some of you had the experience. You get to talk from your parents. Now don't do this, this, and this because we have a certain reputation to uphold. But here's the deal. Dysfunction. Dysfunction means relating badly. Characterized by an inability to function emotionally or as a social unit. It also means not performing as expected. So failing to perform and expect it function. So, so according to Encarta World Dictionary, probably every single one of us have experienced some level of, of dysfunction in our, in our family units. But more specifically, I kind of found this in a little bit of research here. Some facts about a dysfunctional family unit. And, and here we go. Number one, in a dysfunctional family unit, shame is used to control so if you do or say something wrong or you laugh out of turn or you, or you do or say the, say the wrong thing and you're embarrassed, then that is used against you to control you, to manipulate, to, to, to kind of dominate. Number two, value and acceptance achieved or value and acceptance are achieved by what is done as opposed to who you are. So performance-based, as long as you are performing well academically or even athletically, or you're saying the right things, or you, or you, as long as you're doing well, you're going to feel the love. 
But the moment you stop, very quickly, the sense of love, the sense of belonging kind of goes right out the door with your performance levels. Number three, there are unspoken rules. What do we mean by that? We don't talk about problems. It's all is in private and and it's unspoken. We don't we don't bring we don't bring those things to the light. Or there's there's double standards. You're told not to lie, but but if someone calls and has to speak to your parents and your and your parents tells you, hey, just tell them I'm not here. Double standard. It's dysfunction. Unspoken rules. Number four, coded communication. No one really talks to each other. You know, do me a favor really means do it now or else. It's almost like this manipulation kind of thing. Lots and lots of fear. Then lastly, a heavy emphasis on fault or blame. Again, the conversation or the tone in, in, this, in a dysfunctional home is don't ever make us look bad. Even if you have to fake it. Because this is who we are. It's dysfunctional. And so I'm just here to say maybe you're not going to necessarily be rescued out of that situation immediately. See, the only, the only family you get to choose is the person that you marry, so I would caution you to choose wisely. And you get to pick your parents or your siblings. And so you're kind of stuck with them. And so what I'm here to tell you tonight is no matter what the level of dysfunction is in, in your home, and let's be crystal clear, just about all of us have some kind of level of dysfunction. It's going, I need to tell you what to do to deal with it. And not just to deal and survive, but how to thrive even in those family systems. Because it could be that you're going to be there for a while, especially if you're younger. It could be. That, that this is part of your story, at least for a while. But it does not have to be your excuse to be less. This can absolutely be your moment and your chance to be more. Guys, we're talking about picture-perfect families for the next several weeks. And there's going to be moments whenever you're smiling. There may be moments whenever you may be crying. And then there may be moments because you're so conditioned to looking perfect that you'll try your hardest to look perfect, even though the Holy Spirit is very much so specifically speaking to you. And hey, you can do whatever you want. But I'm here to tell you, God will never heal what you're just determined to conceal. God only heals what you're willing to reveal. Come on, let's do it. And so my encouragement to you is to kind of pull back the mask a little bit. I'm here giving you permission as a youth pastor of this group saying you don't have to fake. You don't have to pretend. You don't have to try to be something you're not. You don't have to try to look like anything. You can be yourself. You can be honest about where your family is. And some of you, I mean, and we'll get to you too. You, you think everything's perfect and God bless your little heart. Ignorance is bliss, you know? Um, and it's not to say every single family is just like in, in, on, in shambles. I'm just saying, no matter where you are in the journey, no matter where your family is in this, in this whole kind of scheme of things, it's going to relate to where you are because every single one of us have cousins, family members, best friends who may not be in the best family situation. But again, what do you do in the midst of it all? See, I believe this to be true, you guys. Whether your family has wealth 
or whether your family is too poor, I mean, you can't even afford to, what, like, pay attention. I mean, like, you can't, you, I mean, it, does, it doesn't matter where, how much money your family has or does not have, okay? It, it doesn't matter if, if you came from, or if you come from what's, what would be considered a broken home or yours is seemingly perfect. You know, the nuclear family, you have a mom, you have a dad, you have at least one sibling, and you may have a dog, too, uh, it doesn't matter. See, if we're really honest, we could all probably say my family's just a little bit jacked up. <laughs> and again, what do you do in the midst of it? For some of you who would say, Pastor Brandon, really, my family's great. You know, my, me and my siblings never, ever fight. <laughs> I do everything Hey, there's a lot of walking going on, you guys. So unless it's an emergency, I'm going to ask you to hold your seat because this isn't children's church. This is a youth ministry. Everybody got that? So we don't have a ton of DLA. See, I wouldn't have to do that if all of our amazing 50 billion leaders were here tonight. And so, so what happens is like during the message, during worship, we just ask that you kind of go to them. Why? Because it just kind of throws me off because I'm looking at everybody and then I go off on these tangents. Everybody get that? Okay, thank you so much. All right, so, so again... Whether you're, if you say like you have the perfect family, you and your siblings never fight, you do everything your mom and dad always tell you to do, everything's perfect, I have perfect relationships, probably you're in a little bit of denial, but, but in fact, if this really is the case, I really want you to listen up because I can guarantee you at least one of your friends, at least one of your cousins, at least one of your, one of your, one of your extended family members, somebody in your sphere of influence probably has a little bit of dysfunction going on in their home. And you can be the salt, you can be the light, you can be the voice of wisdom to encourage them, not just say, oh, things are going to get better. But you can give them real nuggets from the word of God as to how they can thrive and how they can overcome. Amen? See, God uses people from every walk of life. And every family background. Let's just settle that right here at the very, very beginning. I was talking with someone just the other day. And they, we were just on the phone. And it's a new, new person I just recently met. And, and then they said, you know, Pastor Brandon, if I were to tell you my family story, you would literally think it was like a, out of a lifetime movie. I mean, like things that happened with my mom and my dad. And you wouldn't know it today, but you have no idea where I come from. And I just, because on the other end of the line, I just, I just real gently kind of whispered. I just said, it, it doesn't really, it, it doesn't matter. Because God can absolutely still use you. He can still pick you up no matter what kind of family dysfunction you came from or you have going on, even right now. So he's not ashamed of you. He's not ashamed of your parents. He's not ashamed of your siblings. He's not ashamed of you because of mistakes that were made by family. It does not matter. God still wants to use you. So before going to the word tonight, I want to sh- I want to just kind of show you someone's story a little bit. Sometimes it helps whenever you have a little bit of a visual. So I want you to kind of be really mature. Don't w- make weird noises whenever the lights go out. Come on, this I'll be in junior high and high school, okay? And um, and this this is about probably about a three or four minute video. This is an interview that I just kind of found whenever I was researching this. I think it's of two siblings who had recently gone through a divorce, and it's all these questions that they were asked. Um, because one, one kind of, as we were looking at even the questionnaires, that, that many of you, and I know personally some of you, and sat with you who come from divorced homes as well. And um, I just want you to, to take a look at this, and it'll give you a greater insight into what we're going to be talking about here.
that started to tear up. Went up to my room, just sat and thought about how how everything was going to be now that they weren't together. Thought about how they were going to get two different houses and how I was going to have to manage. Yeah, I felt something in the back of my throat. A little. It was just. It was just sad and not happy. When they told me, I, I just started. My tears started coming, and I mean, my parents were so supportive, but still, that didn't help. So I went off and I cried in my room for a little while, but I got over it. shocked, more disappointed towards once the initial shock set in, and then uh, sad because I knew things weren't going to be the same since I was born. I was really upset. I was shocked. The reason I was shocked was, I mean, I knew that they were going to get a divorce, but I kept pushing it off in the back of my mind, thinking that can't happen to me, that it's impossible. I'm, we are a family, but... It ended up um, happening in, I don't know, I was just really sad, I cried a lot. I think it changed for the better, honestly, because I really appreciated having two different households, having my parents not like each other at the time. And, you know, I got used to it from the beginning to this point extremely resistant um, to going to um, each parent's house. Like, I really, really, really hated my dad's house, and I still, I don't like it, but I would refuse to go there, and um, my parents tried to set up a schedule, and I kept claiming that I don't want to be owned, I don't want to be shared, but, you know, that's part of divorce, and I, I've now figured that out. Now I know my parents are happy in the 
state instead of being together. And that may not necessarily mean that I'm happy, but I don't know. <laughs> everything is calm and I'm used to everything. My parents like each other again, which is awesome because I like my parents like each other. And uh, so at the beginning, I was a little sad, more, not depressed, but saddened. There's two houses and multiple things, and the parents didn't like each other like I stated before. But right now, I'm happy as can be, living the dream. My parents are all good, and life is great. So, you see, there are two very different responses, two very different kind of outlooks, even in the in the process, and I just wanted to kind of show that to you, not just because it deals specifically with divorce, but, but just to show you that every single one of us are different. Everybody processes through things differently. You see, it's really, really hard to be unkind and, and, and really disengage from people or be uh, rude or make fun of them whenever you know a little bit about their story. So even that mean person at school, this is something that I've heard for years and years, and counselors say it in different circles, hurt people hurt people. And so you never know what's going on in somebody's home. You never know, if you haven't spent the time to, to, to hear a little bit about people's story, I would really, really caution you from being really quick with your words or, or dismissing people or just treating them a certain way, because every single one of us are, are going through different things and And some of us, home is where, while some of you, your safe place is home, some of us who gather here on tonight, a safe place is DSM because home just hurts. And so week one of this Picture Perfect series, I've just simply entitled this message, Home, Home Hurts. See, in the Bible, or again, whenever difficulties come, you know, it can very much so make us feel like saying, God, why are you picking on me? Home hurts. Why are you picking on me? It's supposed to be my safe place. My dad's supposed to be the, the, the representation of, of who God is in my life. And a mom is supposed to also mirror that as well. And together, there's supposed to be a picture of mom and a dad working together, serving Jesus. is supposed to be the very best picture, the closest thing you can get out of a human being of who Heavenly Father is in your life. But many of us don't know that reality. Some of you do, and God bless you, and you need to thank God for your parents if you just if you have two parents that you that you live with at the same home you see we can be so disconnected sometimes and realizing you never appreciate really what you have sometimes until it's actually removed from you or until you meet someone who don't have what you have so for those of you who are in what we call a nuclear family, you have a mom and dad. Of course, things aren't perfect. Nobody's perfect. There's not nail scars in your mom and dad's hands. Some of you need to go home tonight and just say thank you so much for being my mom and dad. Thanks so much for not aborting me. Thanks so much for not divorcing. Thanks so much for you fill in the blank. Because everybody doesn't have that. And then if you have a mom and dad who actually faithfully serve Jesus in a very real way at home and at church, you need to doubly thank them. You need to get on your knees and say, thank you so much because you have spared me from some disastrous things in my life. 
And then, and then some of you, if you have moms and dads who maybe have gone on to, to remarry and, and they're following Jesus and they're, and they're faithful, and, and they're, still, you need to thank them as well. Because again, everybody's not blessed with that opportunity or that living situation either. Some of you are in single parent homes. Some of you are with grandparents because home was just hell. Literally, there's no other word to describe it. And again, I met with some of you and Octavia and some of our staff and some of our leaders. So we know some of your stories and we know that it's not perfect. That's why it's beautiful. Sometimes whenever I'm just kind of walking around in different, you know, on Wednesday nights and I see some of you just worshiping God so strong because I know some of the things that you're facing at home. It just makes me smile inside as a youth pastor because there's a cultivating in your heart. You're you're developing a character that says, God, even though things are not perfect in my world, you are still perfect, and I will offer up perfect praise and perfect worship to you. Come on, somebody. And and then there's some of us who it's not dysfunction. Some of you have lost a mom or a dad on the way. And God stepped in, and you know him to be a mother to the motherless, as Psalm says, a father to the fatherless. And I know some of your stories, and it's powerful, and it's beautiful, and you know what? God didn't leave you behind. He didn't reject you. He showed up, and he said, whenever your father was not there, I'll be your father. I'll be your mother. I'll step in, and I'll be everything that you need me to be, and that some of you are really blessed. Because then he sent another human being, maybe even in the picture, to fulfill that role or to walk that out in a, in a physical form or in a tangible form in front of you. So your family may not be picture perfect, but whatever your family situation is, if you have someone in the home that loves you, hey, you need to say thank you, Jesus. And you need to thank them and let you know that you love them as well. Come on, can we just be real during this picture perfect series? See, many in the many Bible families experience severe dysfunction. I mean, if you think about Adam and Eve and, and how they played the blame game back and forth, oh, I shouldn't have ate the apple. No, you ate the, you took the fruit or, you know, just all this bickering. And then you have Cain and Abel, the first act of what we call fratricide of one brother or one sibling literally murdering another. Now you talk about dysfunction, Cain and Abel. So from the very beginning, we see dysfunction in families or, or also in Abram's, Abraham's family. Abraham offers for his wife to sleep with a king in order to save his life. You talk about dysfunction. You think, you think your mom's been, your dad's been mean to your mom. I mean, Abraham literally says, okay, here's my beautiful Sarah. Okay, I'll just, I'll, why don't you go sleep with this, with this king? Because that's the only way that our lives are going to be spared. Okay, go ahead. Have fun now. Okay, and so, and it's like, or, 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 or. Lot's family, Lot's family, who there's a, there's a moment whenever Lot literally offers his daughter, uh, uh, his daughter just to be taken advantage of. I mean, it's Isaac and Rebecca. You got the dad loving the oldest son and the mom loving the youngest son better. And it's very clear. And then that, that it results in issues for their entire, their entire life. You know, um, the great King David. That's where I want to land tonight. Let's take a look into the children of David, the worshiping warrior who slayed thousands of Israel's enemies, including Goliath of Gath. But he's got some major dysfunction 
in his home. I'm going to read a lengthy portion of scripture tonight. It's just a little bit different of a night. Sometimes we like to summarize scripture. Sometimes I only give you one or two verses. Tonight I'm going to give you a big chunk of verse. So I didn't want to summarize it for you. Many of you have never heard this story before. So I want you to lean in, listen in. The, um, the verse is going to be on the screen as well. I'm going to read this entire text to you. And, uh, and, and yeah, this is pretty amazing. It's in the Bible. It's beautiful. It's crazy. All right, here we go. So it's 2 Samuel chapter 13 and starting at verse 1. It says, now David's son, Absalom. Everybody say Absalom. Absalom had a beautiful, had a beautiful sister and her name was Tamar. Can you say Tamar? All right. Now, Amnon, not Absalom, Amnon, Tamar's half brother, fell desperately in love with her pump the brakes. So we got dysfunction from the beginning. Did anybody catch that? Are y'all listening? So he fell in love with his half sister. And you think your family jacked up. Okay. So, so here, verse two, Amnon became so obsessed with Tamar that he became ill. She was a virgin and Amnon thought he could never have her. Verse three, but Amnon had a very crafty friend, his cousin, Jonadab. Everybody say Jonadab. Jonadab. Now, he was a son of David's brother, Shimeo. One day, Jonadab said to Amnon, what's the trouble? What's up, son? What's going on? Why should the son of a king look so dejected morning after morning? You're like, you're royalty, bro. So Amnon told him, uh, I'm in love with my, uh, with Tamar, you know, like my brother Absalom's sister. Yeah, I'm in love with her. Well, Jonadab said, and this is how you tell he didn't went to the wrong person. I'll tell you what to do. Go back to bed. Pretend like you're ill. When your father comes to see you, ask him and let Tamar come and prepare some food for you. Tell him you'll feel better if she prepares it as you watch and feeds you with her own hands. So Amnon, yeah, so it really is true. Your friends will definitely show me your friends. I'll show you your future. The people you go to for counsel, it's just as dumb as, as, as him going to Jonadab and asking, hey, give me some counsel here. We got some Jonadabs in our own life. That's another message. Here we go. People are walking, so I get off on trail. Sit down. Okay, here we go. So Amnon, Amnon lay down and pretended to be sick. And when the king came to see him, Amnon asked him, Please let my sister Tamar come and cook my favorite dish as I watch. Then I can eat it from her own hands. So David agreed and sent Tamar to Amnon's house to prepare some food for him. Now, when Tamar arrived at Amnon's house, she went to the place where he was lying down so he could watch her mix some dough. Then she baked his favorite dish for him. But when she set the serving tray before him, he refused to eat. Everyone get out of here, Amnon told his servants. So they all left. Then he said to Tamar, listen to this. Now bring the food into my bedroom and feed it to me here. So Tamar took his favorite dish to him. But as she was feeding him, he grabbed her and demanded, come to bed with me, my darling sister. No, my brother. She cried. I mean, the Bible, it's a scandalous. It's a hot mess. You should read it. It's crazy. You're reading your stupid novels. You need to read the word. Ain't nothing. You can find nothing as scandalous as in the word. So we were talking about scandalous grace. This was not scandalous grace. This was a scandalous mess. And so, so verse 12, she says, no, my brother. She cried. Don't be foolish. Don't do this to me. 
Such wicked things aren't done in Israel. Where could I go in my shame? And you would be called one of the greatest fools in Israel. Please, just speak to the king about it, and he'll let you marry me. But Amnon wouldn't listen to her. And since he was stronger than she was, he raped her. Then suddenly Amnon's love turned to hate. And he hated her even more than he had loved her. Get out of here. He snarled at her. Now there's a whole message in sexual purity here that I would so preach if we were in the middle of a purity series. But I'll wait and save it for next year. How quickly love, lust turns to hatred whenever it's manifested in your life, whenever you give in. That's another message. Verse 16, no, no, Tamar cried. Sending me away now is worse than what you've already done. But Amnon would not listen to her. He shouted for his servant and demanded, throw this woman out and lock the door behind her. So the servant put her out and locked the door behind her. She was wearing a long, beautiful robe, as was the custom in those days for the king's virgin daughters. But now Tamar tore her robe and put ashes on her head. And then with her face in her hands, she went away crying. Her brother Absalom saw her and asked, is it true that Amnon has been with you? Well, my sister, keep it quiet for now. Since he's your brother, don't you worry about it. So Tamar lived as a desolate woman in her brother Absalom's house. When King David heard what had happened, he was very angry. And though Absalom spoke to Amnon about this, he hated Amnon deeply because of what he had done to his sister. Again, I want to speak to you for a few minutes now at the tail end from a message, again, that I've just simply entitled in this week one of Picture Perfect, a series on families called Home Hurts. Now, according to scripture, everybody say Tamar. Tamar. Tamar is what is known as or what would be known in Hebrew or Jewish culture as a woman of the Torah or woman of the Torah. Basically, she walked upright and she did what was right in the eyes of God. Her highest calling, Tamar, as a young Jewish woman, was to maintain her sexual purity, to remain untouched, untampered with, undefiled. Can I tell you, young women, that your same call today, one of your highest callings is to walk in purity before the Lord, uncontaminated, not some jerk saying whatever he wants you to you are just doing whatever. No, no, no. Your highest calling, one of your highest callings is to walk in purity before the Lord, your God. And Tamar was doing this. That's right. Okay. So Tamar, Tamar was doing this. This is who she was. This is how she lived. She was a young woman of the Torah. It was, it was even, it was even exemplified or demonstrated by the robe that she wore. You see, it was a great honor for young women to walk in purity and they were richly rewarded. Okay. So, so for they were, for, for they were the women that will receive the greatest dowry. Now, a dowry is a price that you would pay in the Eastern culture for the woman whenever you got ready to marry. It's not that you were buying her per say it was gosh this is literally it's for all of this money just to be able to marry her i will i will save up all this money and and her dowry became so like the ones who walked in purity had the highest amount of a dowry okay okay so verse eight she was submitted to her father she did what was asked of her father 
and she still got hurt. And so what's interesting is sometimes it can seem like or can even feel like you're doing what's right. And you're trying to honor your parents or whoever your authority. And then somewhere in the midst of it, something goes wrong in your home and you still get hurt. And you're trying your best to do what's right and honor the Lord. But because you can't control anything, really. You get wounded along the way. And then you start to have questions. I'm here to tell you if anybody could ask some real hard questions. It would be Tamar. Following the advice that was given to her. Following the rules that were set out for her. And she was completely taken advantage of. Literally raped in the home of her half-brother. Have any of you in the midst of trying to obey your parents or submit to the authorities in your home been hurt? That's where Tamar was. So verses 12 and 13, you know, again, Tamar's trying to plead with her brother, please don't, don't do this to me. Don't. Don't do this. And it still happens. Bam, she gets hurt. And so what do you do? What do you do whenever you have no control over the circumstances or what's going on around you or what's taking place in your home? I want to submit to you. You do the only thing that you can do. So you control the only thing that is within the realm of your control, which is you. It's called self-control. It's called yielding to Jesus and saying, my emotions will not control me, but I will control my emotions. Does that make sense? And so in doing that, you say, you know what? I feel crummy right now. I feel awful. I feel terrible. I feel you fill in the blank. And you confess those things, get one to Jesus. But This is where it comes in. So this is why I'm not interested in just having hundreds and hundreds of young people just gather on a Wednesday night and we all just worship together and you hear a great message and you go home because life was not meant to be lived alone. Every single one of you need voices, influences, mentors, small group leaders in your life. And if you're so arrogant as to think that you don't need someone else, then you're in for a very long, hard journey in your life. So you need someone who's further along in the journey than you to say, hey, this is what I'm feeling right now. And notice I said further along in the journey, which is not just a peer. It's not the cutest person that's sitting on your row. It's not the person that you just hang out with. No, 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 no. That's what I'm talking about. In addition to that, someone who's further along in the journey. You can say, this is what's going on in my heart and my head right now. And I am trying to, I'm trying to believe the Lord. I'm trying to seek him. But all of this, you know what? It just really sucks right now. You guys get that? And so uh, some of us, maybe we have friends at school or on different athletic teams or whatever, and they don't have that person. Well, you, you be that person to them yeah. then. And you be that confident. You say, okay, I'm going to pray with you. I'm going I'm to speak life. I'm going to speak truth into you. You are not your circumstance. You are not your past. You're not even your present. <laughs> there is a whole future that has been marked out and planned out. And that's what Jesus sees in you. And that's what I see in you. Come on, somebody. See, because 
Because there's a number of us who've experienced the sting of divorce or the sting of pain, even in the home. Or many of us are experiencing the sting of pain from your mom and your dad arguing. Or we even saw a percentage of us who are adopted. Or there's a handful of us who are in foster care and your foster parents. And you don't even know where you're going next. Like what the next home is. And you're here for right now. But who knows how long you're going to be here. Or maybe you're adopted and and, and you just have all these questions. Why didn't my real parents love me? I mean, can we just be real? Why didn't? Why am I adopted? Why did I have to be adopted? Why couldn't they be adopted? You know, or why was I given this? set of parents why me god are you picking on me what is going on because it's so much easier whenever we see someone else's life come on we won't raise our hands but how many of us have that friend who seems to have pretty incredible parents have a little bit of money have a cool house and and we've all secretly thought why wasn't i put in that family i mean seriously come on yeah If we ask for a show of hands, I think many, many hands would go up right now. I've been there before. God, what were you doing? I mean, my life would just be amazing if I had his parents or her parents. They're incredible. But it is what it is. So we can sit there and we can play the victim. And we can be the victim. We can be the victor that God is destined for you to be. You see, whenever, whatever you're dealt, whatever, whatever's going on, I'm just telling you that in Christ and through obedience to his word and, and, and through submitting yourself to the Holy Spirit and to allowing voices in your life other than your own, other than Jonah dabs, okay, wise voices in your life, you can go from a place of being in a crisis to actually learning and, and saying, you know what? I can thrive here. I can be victorious here because God is with me and because God is for me. Does that make sense? Now, again, as a disclaimer, because in a crowd this large, we have so many different backgrounds. Let me just put this out there as a, as a disclaimer. If there's any kind of physical trouble that you are in, if there is some type of abuse. And we saw we saw a couple people have responded there and it was anonymous um, if you want to talk about those things, please come to us as a staff. But no, we cannot keep those things confidential. There will be some type of intervention. It will not happen on our watch. If, there, if any of you are in any type of physical danger or physical trauma or, or that's taking place, you don't just cope with that. You don't just thrive there. You get out. You run for your life. You are removed from that situation because you're too precious to Jesus, to having anybody putting crazy hands on you in an abusive manner. And you deserve more. Come on. Come on, it's not a, I know this isn't an exactly, you know, charge the heel kind of night. Let's take the world for Jesus. Gosh, can you take your home for Jesus? Can you, can you take the home that you've been given and offer that as a sacrifice up to, to Jesus? It starts there, you guys. And so this is a conversation. I don't have 50 billion solutions for you, but I know one who does. And to the best of my abilities as leaders and, and youth pastors here, we want to help speak life into your situation. If nothing else from this night, you need to know that we care. We're praying, and no matter what your family life is like, I want you to be able to come to a place, and this is why it's so important. 
all of you every week whenever we gather, hey, this could be the best sense of family that people actually feel all week long. So it's, it's really a big deal that you're kind and you're not in your little stupid clique and, and you just like ignore people or you see what I'm saying? Do you, do you kind of sense that? Because we don't have picture perfect families, you guys. See, the main thing the enemy will always try to do is keep you silent concerning family issues. Do you remember whenever her brother came up to came up to Tamar and asked her? See, scripture doesn't even say that she gave a response. I believe that it's not even written because more than likely the conversation went something like, what did he come see real quick, dear? The conversation probably went something like, did that really happen to you? And no words were exchanged, but she probably just gave her brother a look. And in a moment, he knew. In a moment, he knew because she was going to keep silent about it. She's going to keep quiet about it. You can have a seat. See, it's a trick of the enemy to always force you to hold it all in. It's a lie of the enemy to try manipulating you to just keep it all in and keep it silent and keep it quiet. Just because the way that things are, that's how it's dealt with in your family does not mean That's the right way. Again, God will not heal what you won't reveal. He cannot heal what you are hell-bent on leaving concealed. It's got to come out into the light. Don't fall for it. You want to go to the right people that God has placed in your life to share things with. Again, verse 20, sure, Tamar went to her brother. It seemed like a good idea, right? I mean, the brother was there, but then even that resulted in ruthless murder committed by Absalom. I mean, the whole thing was just a mess. And so I think even that shows us kind of stepping out of the situation saying, hey, I'm going to get somebody who's not like all just wrapped up in my drama. I'm going to go to a person of wisdom. I'm going to talk. I'm going to kind of open up about some some of these things. And, And maybe in your home, you don't talk feelings, you know, but 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 that's not going to help anyone. And so I know this is super practical tonight, you guys. I just really feel a sense of getting into this picture-perfect series. And we'll have about three or four more weeks of this. We're going to talk about some other kind of dysfunctional things or, or, or in families or things that, or things that just kind of show we don't have picture-perfect families. I'm going to call the worship team to, to come up to the stage. And, and I want to leave you with one, kind of two verses here that I feel like in moments where it's just massive dysfunction or confusion, maybe in your house or or in your home, um, two scriptures that have kind of helped me out of some crazy moments and seasons and situations. They're just moving the board. Don't pay them any mind. They're just fine. 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 4. Take a look at this on the screen. It says, He comforts us in all our troubles... So that we comfort others. When they are troubled, we will be able to give them the same comfort that God has given us. See, some of you have been to hell and back in your homes and in your families. And I'm just here to tell you, no, God didn't. Gosh, he didn't make that happen. He didn't, he didn't say, well, God, I just want to put them in the sucky family. But he can redeem anything. He can take what the enemy meant to destroy you and absolutely work it for your good. And I believe that one of the outcomes is he'll comfort you in those situations so that you, when they are troubled, we'll be able to give them the same comfort 
that God has given us. This is why I believe sometimes God just doesn't just kind of sweep in and rescue you from family things. And some of you are going through the tension of, you know, even blended families. And now you have new siblings and you didn't like the siblings that you have. God knows you're not going to like the ones that you, you see what I'm saying? It's like all of these different things. I mean, can we just be real? I mean, they're weird. They're strange. You, you grew up in, I mean, who are you? Oh, we're brothers now because we're, at all of these kind of awkward moments. But we can thrive. Even in those moments, even in those seasons, even in that circumstance, you guys. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 16 and 17. Last verses here. Now may our Lord Jesus Christ himself and God our Father who loved us and by his grace gave us eternal comfort and a wonderful hope comfort you and strengthen you in every good thing you do and you say. I believe that what you say in moments where you're in dysfunctional families or hardships going on at home, I believe that what you say has such an outcome on your life. It's, I believe it, life and death is in the power of time. So what you say in using wisdom and, and don't allow just junk to just come out of your mouth. And as you talk to your friends, yeah, well, I hate my whatever. Gosh, my stepmom, blah, blah, blah. Uh, my mom, my dad, whatever those words are going to come back to you. And once they're out of your mouth, you can't take them back. Once they're out of your mouth, you just, you can't take them back. And so, guys, again, I'm not saying your family has to be in shambles. I'm not saying your parents have to be on the verge of divorce. I'm not saying that every single one of you are in situations where there's hyper dysfunction. What I am saying is, if you're not in that situation, perhaps you know at least one other person, if you're real honest, if they're real honest, that there's some crazy things taking place in their home. And I'm just saying there's a reason why you're in their life. And I'm just saying there's a reason why you're in the situation that you're in, even in your home. And even if things are going really, really well in your home, you need to be thankful. You need to be grateful. You need to have a spirit of humility about you that says, gosh, God, my parents aren't perfect, but I'm so thankful for them. And I just seek and I long to honor them. And we're going to talk about honor in this whole, in this, in this picture perfect series as well. And I believe that there's just a, there's a spirit of honor that God's going to give you no matter whatever your, your family situation is like, whether it's a grandparents adopted, whether you've been rejected, thrown away, cast away, whatever your story is, if your mom or da- dad has, has gone on and is deceived, whatever it is, there's something that Jesus has to say to you in this Picture Perfect series. And so I'm going to ask you to open up your hearts. I'm going to ask you to be transparent. I'm going to ask you to be real. And I'll ask you tonight to just be on a course that says, though I don't have the perfect family, I resolve to. And you fill in the blank. Go back and even read some of these verses tonight. So this is what I want us to do. I kind of want us to end in a, in a kind of a different way tonight. If you'll just kind of stand to your feet and you don't have to talk to anyone at all. See, we serve a God who's faithful. He really is. He's faithful. And tonight, if you just want to even just say, you know what, I'm, I kind of, I just want to make a, a commitment to, to say, you know, my 
though my family life isn't picture perfect, I want to resolve that I'm not going to become a victim. I'm not going to be bitter. I'm not going to, I want to commit tonight to say, Lord, whatever you want to speak to me, that's what I want. That's what I want to hear. That's what I need to hear. And so if that's you, I want you to to take a seat where you are. That's what I want us to do. And and like and like a tidal wave tonight. I feel like even it's just a worship team just sings a couple choruses. I feel like the grace of God is just gonna just gonna kind of go over you tonight and just kind of fill your heart. And so if that's you, I just want you to take your seat and you can just lift up your hand to Jesus and just sit there. You may have words for him tonight or there may not be any real words to say. And the rest of you, you can just stand there, worship God, whatever you want. But if you want to respond tonight, rather than stand or even come to the front, I just want you to sit down just as a sign that, you know what? Um, there's a very real man who's seated on a throne. And no matter what's going on in my family, he's seated for a reason. He's seated in authority and power and nothing takes him by surprise. Nothing shocks him. He is well acquainted and he is at peace even knowing that craziness is going on in my home. And so just as a sign of that, I just want you to sit down like Jesus. And in that, I feel like you're just making a statement to the enemy saying, you know what? I'm not going to move in depression. I'm not going to be crazy. I'm not going to be angry and, and all that. No, I'm not going to self-harm myself. No, I'm not going to do that. Because I know the one who's seated in heavenly places. And I am seated with him tonight in perfect peace. Peace that surpasses all understanding. As it's Gina and the team just begins to sing. I just want to sit there. I just want you to sit there. In God's peace right now. I believe that you're going to feel peace like a blanket over you. No one touched them. You don't need to pray for anyone tonight. The Holy Spirit is just laying like a cloak of peace over those who are just seated tonight. If you need peace in your home and peace in your family, just sit down right where you are as a son. I believe God's just going to sit right there with you. actually care the greatest need to the smallest need father you care and you're moved by our hearts tonight lord i thank you that while our family situations may not be different that we're going home to tonight i thank you that we're different because of your presence that is in us filling us saturating us even now we give you praise and glory and we thank you for what you're going to do throughout the rest of this series god We're so honored that you are our father, you are our mother, you are our best friend, you're our brother, you're our sister, God, you are, I am, that I am. So we praise you tonight, the work that you started in so many of our hearts, God. We give you praise, we give you glory, we say we're thankful in Jesus' name, we pray. If you agree with that, would you just say amen?